How to play episode J, my top 50 green circle games. Hello and welcome back to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Western New York. The How to Play podcast is all about learning and teaching games. This is one of How to Play's special lettered episodes. What's it about? Well, whatever it is, it's going to be special. For more How to Play episodes, special episodes, teaching guides, our discussion forums, and to help support the show, visit our website at www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Also, be sure to visit our affiliated podcast on the Dice Tower Network at dicetowernetwork.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to How to Play. My name is Ryan Sturm, and this episode was recorded on June 2nd, 2012. Today, I'd like to do another one of those special episodes. I'm in the mood to try something different. Today, I'm going to go over the best 50 easy games that I know. And I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. But first, I have some business to attend to. I made the decision that in order to keep going with how to play, I would like to get some support from you, the listeners. And I've decided on the structure to do that is to attempt these semi-annual fundraisers to generate the support and funds from you, the listener. I'm asking you, the listeners, to support my time and efforts here on how to play. If you like it, if you use it, and you want it for the next six months, I'm going to ask you to support it with a financial donation. I've thought a long time about how to try to be funded for the work I do here on How to Play. And when it comes down to it, I really would like the support to come from you, the listeners. I would like it to come from you, the audience, rather than approaching game publishers or game stores so that How to Play becomes driven by, you know, whatever the new releases is. I want to be able to cover any game. I want to be able to cover the games that the listeners want to hear. And as such, I would like the support and the funding for this show to come from you. If you think How to Play is a valuable resource, I'm asking you, yes you, to donate in the month of June to help pay for How to Play from July to December 2012. If you want to see some great How to Play content over the next six months, then I'm asking for 100 of you to step up to the plate by July 8th. You can donate whatever you think How to Play is worth to you. In order to be called as an official supporter of How to Play, though, I'm asking for a minimum suggested donation of $10, though I certainly would appreciate donations of $20 or even more. But the bottom line is this. I'm looking for a response from you. Yes, you! to continue regular content for how to play. I know 100 supporters is just a fraction of the thousands of listeners that listen to the show, and I think $10 for six months of content is a reasonable number that most people can afford. I want you, the audience, to tell me with your donations that how to play is a valuable resource and it's worth it to you. If we do not make this goal of 100 listeners within the next month, I will not completely shut down the podcast totally. Uh, the website will still be available, but it's very likely that I will slow down production simply because I have a growing family that it's getting harder and harder to put time in front of the mic and, and the editing booth. I have a two-year-old and I have a, another baby due in July that my wife and I are very excited about. So I'm really looking for some sort of justification for the part-time job that this is really 
really become. I do enjoy doing the work, but I could use some financial support from you, the listeners, in order to continue in this endeavor. So I'm asking you, sir, or you, ma'am, to be one of the 100 listeners. Donate a minimum suggested donation of $10. You can donate $20, $25, whatever you feel comfortable with. Donate that by the deadline of July 8th. I'll try to do some sort of updates on the guild of how many supporters we have and help me meet that challenge and tell me that to at least 100 of you thousands of listeners, how to play is worth paying for. So go do it right now. How do you donate? You go to my website, howtoplaypodcast.com. On the left side, there's a PayPal donation button. You click that and you can send your donation right to me. Please do that today. Do it by the deadline of July 8th. Meet my challenge of 100 supporters for the next six months. All right, I'm done with the advertisement. Let's get to the content. The top 50 green circle games. Many of you know that I love those complicated, heavy, brain-burner-type games. But you must know I also have a great deal of respect and love for great, simple games. I think making complicated games is relatively easy. Making a great, simple game can be a work of art. If you love games like me and you're, you're the game guy around, then you will want to have games around uh, to play with your family, to play with neighbors and, and friends, people who don't generally play games, with older and younger players, uh, games with people who haven't seen anything more complicated than Monopoly and, and will be intimidated by anything more complicated than, say, a, a ticket to ride. A great, simple game can create a game experience with just a few rules. The games I'm looking for in adding to this list are games that I can teach in five minutes, and not only teach in five minutes, but teach in five minutes and walk away and let them play it by themselves, that that's how easy it is to understand. Games with little to no setup, um, an hour maximum playing time, with most of them much shorter, as, as for a lot of non-gamers, an hour game uh, you know, can be considered a really long game. I want games that will work with young players and, and old players. Um, usually children 8 and up will work for most of the games on this list. Uh, if not, I will mention something about that. But again, there's just something simply amazing about a game that you know consists of you know maybe five to ten rules and a few components and can really just create a social experience that could create excitement or laughter or thoughtful play or just an overall good time and that's what I was looking for to create with this top 50 green circle games I think a lot of times us players in the hobby get allured into this idea of the gateway game. What games can I get that will lead them into uh, Tigris and Euphrates and Power Grid and Kalis and all these other complex games and Agricola? I'm going to ask you not to think that way because a lot of times it's just not maybe going to happen. And even if it does happen, do you really want to be playing something just with the idea that, you know, you can play a better game later on? These games are fun experiences by themselves. They probably have a lot of randomness within them, 
they probably don't have a whole lot of learning curve to them and that's actually probably a good thing because you want to be sort of on equal footing in these games you don't want to be way better uh, you know than your grandma when you sit sit down and, and drop out this game you want a game that everyone can enjoy together and that's what I hope you will see from the games on this list so the format I'm going to use as I go through my list is to simply say the name of the game, give a basic one sentence on what it's about, a little bit about why I love it, uh, any downsides about the game, and then any other qualifiers of, of why you might not use that game. Uh, before we get started, a few things that are not on the list. Uh, based on what I just said previously, you won't see Settlers of Catan on this list. It's It doesn't meet those requirements that I just mentioned. And, and even Acquire. I really like Acquire, but it's just it's not a game I'm not going to bring out with everybody. Uh, a few popular games that aren't on the list, uh, simply because I'm not really that familiar with them. Time's Up, I know, is... A very well-liked game that fits this criteria that I simply have never played with the actual rules. And Telestrations, which is actually a public domain game that now is made available um, for purchase, has gotten a lot of good buzz, a lot of great feedback for this type of experience. Again, a game I've never played, so you may want to look into those two as well. What else is missing? After you listen to this, I encourage you to go by the guild, of course, after you've made your uh, subscriber donation at howtoplaypodcast.com. Come to the guild and tell me what great Green Circle games I missed. So on this list, you're going to get a, a variety of things. It's really a potpourri of games that meet those criteria that I just mentioned. Uh, you're going to get a certainly a variety in genre. There's some abstract games on the list. There's some straight-up party games on the list, some bluffing games, some push-your-luck type games. Just a real mix of genres uh, that meet that criteria that are short, simple, easy to teach, and create a game experience. You're also going to hear um, a variety of accessibility on these games you know some of these games you you probably be able to pick up at your local big box store uh, some of them you'll probably have to get directly from a specialty game store from a board game website and there's a few really obscure ones that you may have to uh, ship from somewhere in belgium or something i'll try to mention if accessibility is a problem on any of these and just one last warning before we get started. Going through the editing for this, I realized that I said the word ridiculous a ridiculous number of times, I think, because so many of these games are ridiculous in a good way. Uh, but I probably could have stretched my vocabulary a bit more in hindsight. Uh, rather than dig through all of those and, and change them with synonyms, I'm going to leave it for a fun game for you to count how many times I use the word ridiculous. Again, my apologies. All right, enough preamble. Let's get to the list. Number 50 to number 41. Number 50, Baker's Dozen. This game used to be called Poison. It's by Reiner Knizia. Uh, now goes by Baker's Dozen. I think actually you can find it in both varieties. Um, one of them had the theme of donuts and moldy donuts, and poison was sort of a mad scientist theme. 
I like the donut one because it comes in this little donut box and you're playing donuts in three colors of vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate and trying not to get over the number of 13 because if you do, you have to take all of the donuts and players can put moldy donuts in those lines of donuts which are worth penalty points. And the whole game is about not trying to get donuts unless you have the most of a kind of donut and then those donuts don't count as penalty points for you. It's quick, it's very easy to understand, and it's a lot of fun. And that's Baker's Dozen or Poison by Reiner Knizia. And it comes in a donut box. That's pretty cool. Number 49, the, the version I own is Portrayal. It looks like now it's being sold as Identic. Look for it in under either of those. Um, just as a, a side note here, I'm going to put this list on my website so you can get the spellings of all these if you are looking for them. This is a very clever party game in that one person has a drawing and all the other players have a piece of paper. And the job of the... The person with the drawing is to explain what the drawing is about. It's a simple black and white sort of cartoon drawing. And they can only look at the drawing. Hidden underneath the drawing are 10 criteria of things that the players, the drawers, are going to score points for if they've included in their drawing. The drawer gets points for if at least one of the drawers got each of the criteria on that list. So they are motivated to explain it as accurately as possible. One of the things I love about this game is you've got basically an unlimited number of players. As a classroom teacher, I love games that I can use for 21 players because that's about how many kids are in my class. And this game works great for that. Forces them to use also a lot of good descriptive language and communication. Really great classroom game, but uh, great for parties as well. The nice thing is that everybody gets to draw. So if you're looking for a, a good, fun, alternative party game that gets everyone participating, this is a nice game to have around. Number 49, Portrayal. Number 48, Manhattan. This was a Spiel de Jahr winner from a number of years ago. But the simplicity of this game is great. There are six 3x3 three three grids. Players have these stacking blocks of either one, two, three, or four stories. And on each player's turn, they simply play one of the cards that identifies which corner of a grid. And then they can pick which city they want to put the block in. And they put it down. Players get points for owning buildings. Uh, the person who has the highest building in the world and having the most buildings in each of the six cities. So there's a number of different goals that players can go for. Plus there's this uh, wonderful take that interaction that occurs in the game. It's really a great board game. It's got unique components, very easy to teach, and a lot of fun. The downside on this one is you're really looking for exactly four players. That's number 48, Manhattan. Number 47, Scattergories. This is a classic. Most of you probably know what it is. You roll a letter die. Uh, you have a list of 10 different categories, colors, jobs, pickle flavors, whatever. And in each round, players are trying to come up with things that fit the category, but also no one else has to have them. I love 
thinking about things that meet the category, but the most fun part of this game, and I think any of you who have played it will, would agree, and that is the arguments about, you know, whether strawberry is a flavor of pickle. You know, they have this this judgment phase where everybody reads their answers, and, you know, someone will have something absolutely ridiculous, and you all laugh at him. This is another great game with large, large groups. You can play it with a full class or, you know, a party of 20 people. A lot of these games really shine. Scattergories is one of them. When you have um, more than one person in a team, having two or three people together with Scattergories works very well and makes it almost even more fun, which is a, a good feature. Number 46, Cranium. My wife was dumbfounded when this was on the list because whenever she suggests it, when we have lots of people over, I run away screaming. I think it's just because I am worn out on this game because we played the heck out of this game uh, when I was in college when it first came out because it really is a lot of fun. It combines all of the sort of party game elements of trivia and and sculpting and drawing and, and word questions and puts them all into one combined game. And the result is, is really a lot of fun, and I've had a lot of fun playing this game. Do I want to play it much anymore? Probably not, but if you haven't played it, uh, it's really worth a shot, and you can get a ton of fun out of Cranium. Number 46. Number 45, I'm going to completely switch directions here and give you a, a good abstract game, and that is Abalone. Abalone is a, a hexagon with marble spaces on it, and players are simply, there's white and black marbles. It's a two-player game only. Players are pushing marbles back and forth. You can push one, two, or three. You can push a line of th up to three marbles, and you're moving them in a hexagonal fashion into these wells, and you're pushing them, and each player starts on either end of the board. Eventually, they start running into each other, and the object of the game is to push seven of your opponent's marbles off. You can only push when you have a larger stack of marbles, so two marbles can push one marble. It's a very simple game. You can explain, you know, the rules to this in two minutes, but it's so much fun. There's a lot of interesting decisions there. It plays very quick, and it's got this great tactile feel about it of these you know these big marbles and pushing them around the board and they make this thrchunk sound when you move them around the board i discovered this game uh from a, my co-workers a retired teacher was was getting rid of all her stuff and i saw this game there and, and i found a real gem and if you haven't tried it it really is a lot of fun number 45 the two-player abstract game abalone number 44 smarty potty Smarty Party, it really hits my buttons because it's a, it's a game show style game in that there's a category and the players have to name things in the category. So one of the players will have all the answers. It'll be like the top 10 selling breakfast cereals. And all the other players have to name them. And you keep going around and the first person to name one that isn't on the list gets three penalty points. And the next person gets two penalty points. And then the next person gets one penalty point, And then that rounds over. And then everybody argues about why Fruit Loop should be on the list. And, and it really isn't. It scratches that same sort of scattergories itch. The cards are really fun to try to think what's on those cards. Very easy to teach, very easy to get into. Great, unique party game. Number 44, Smarty Party. Number 43, Kingdoms. I really like this a little gem from Reiner Knizia. And it's a very nice, simple tile lane game, but a lot of interesting things going on in it. 
there's a six by four grid and players are drawing a tile and they're placing it on the grid and the, the tile is either positive or negative and they also have castles. So they're either going to place that tile that's going to increase the value of the row and the column that it's in or they're going to take one of their castles and place it somewhere on the board. They're going to want to place it in the rows and columns that have a lot of positive numbers. Of course, usually you drop your castle down and then the next player goes and they play their negative right on it. And then the the opposite is also true. You you play this really big juicy number and then all the other players get to go and then they'll, they'll put their castles right next to it. And there's some special tiles in there and there it's just it's one of the best simple board games that lasts about 45 minutes. You're looking for a nice light strategy game that anyone can play. This is a good one uh, by Reiner Knizia. Kingdoms, number 43. I'll follow that up with another really good tile lane game. That's number 42, Metro. In Metro, all the players own subway stations along the outside of the board. And on their turn, they're going to draw a tile and put it on the city grid. And their object is to make their subway lines go as long and windy as possible before they end by reaching the outside or inside of the board. But players can play the tile anywhere. So you can either play tiles to add to your own, or if you have a mean, nasty tile, you can play a tile to end someone else's subway station. It's very simple. It's pretty random, but it has a, a good take that feature to it, and it's quick, and it's a good time. That's number 42, Metro. Back to party games. Number 41, one of my favorite party games of all time, is Taboo. Taboo is most well-known because it comes with this wonderful buzzer. And, you know, you're just simply, you have a team, and one of the players is, is trying to get their team to be able to guess a word that's on the card from clues. So I could have pickle, and the things on the card would be green and sour. And you can't say green or sour when you're trying to explain uh, that your word is pickle. And if they do say green or sour, you get to hit this lovely buzzer, and it's so much fun. And trying to come up with clues that don't use the most obvious words it's such a simple idea, but so brilliant to to participate in. And you've got you've got th four different levels of enjoyment here. You've got the person trying to give clues without using these obvious words. You've got the people trying to decipher these ridiculous clues. You've got the enjoyment of the participatory of just watching both of these sides struggle. And then the best role is having that red button in your hand. So much fun. Number forty one. Taboo. Number 40 to number 31. Number 40. I discovered this game as a gift given to me by a student, and it's called Make and Break. This is a very simple game in which there are, uh, you, there are like eight colored blocks, and there's configurations of those blocks. It's like you get to be a toddler again. You get to build towers with blocks. How great is that? But there's certain configurations you have to build within a time limit. And one of the other players times you with the roll of a die. They're rolling this die with numbers on it, 0, 0, 0, 1, 2, 3, and counting up and trying to get to 15, and that's your time. 
And so you're frantically trying to build these blocks in the correct configurations. This game, I mean, it's really a one-player game. The other players are simply enjoying watching you frantically build or timing you by rolling this die. Uh, but those are fun rolls as well. It's a very simple game. I have the mini version, but I, I'd like to get the big chunkier version. It's timed tower building. It seems so stupid. <laughs> But maybe that's why it's so much fun, because of the ridiculousness of the activity. If you haven't tried doing this yet, I think you'll really enjoy it. Number 40, Make and Break. Next, I have some very simple trick-taking games. Uh, number 39 is Too Many Cooks. Too Many Cooks has uh, different suits of cards. There's onions and chili peppers and mushrooms and things. And the players are trying to get particular cards, and generally you don't want the chili peppers. The game is uh, like four hands long, um, has a good take that element to it. It's very simple to explain and is bound to create some emotional results as, as people spoil each other's broth as they play you know, the, the chili pepper into that trick. Good simple game with a, a, a fun theme and I'm a sucker for you know, having a great trick taking game and I think Too Many Cooks by Reiner Knizia is one of them. Number 38, Siegen Kriegen. While I'm talking about trick-taking games, this is another one of my favorites. It's a trick-taking game that's like one hand of cards, and you're going to play four tricks. And on the tricks are, is a number of goats. And after each trick, uh, someone's laying a tile that has a number on it. And when all those tiles are complete, those four numbers add together to show you the score that you're trying to reach. So as you play the game, you're coming up with this magic number that players are trying to get to, but they don't quite know what it is yet. Game takes about 15 minutes or 20 minutes. It's got this cool little goat meeple, and it is a really great quick filler. Ziegenkriegen. Number 37 has been in several editions. It started as six nymphed, um, it's become category five and slide five. This is a simple card game where there are four lines of cards in ascending order. And when there's too many cards in a row, then the loser has to take all the cards in that row. What players do uh, during the game is they, they start with 10 cards and they choose one of them and everybody picks on the basic rules. You all pick at the same time and you flip them over and the cards are added to those rows. And if someone was unfortunate enough to add the sixth card in a row, they have to take all those cards and get those penalty points. You have a little bit of... Um, probability that you can do to, to narrow down not playing a card to get one of those stacks of cards but there's a lot of guesswork uh, but overall this game is just a lot of fun and provides a lot of good laughs that's six nymphed in america i think the version you can get now is called slide five that's number 37 number 36 igloo pop igloo pop is there's a lot of ridiculous games on this list. I just realized this. Um, Igloo Pop is a game that comes with a bunch of plastic igloos with beads in them. And there's like 13 of them. And the players are, you say, ready, set, go. And all the players grab an igloo and they hold it up to their ears and they shake them. And they try to figure out how many beads are inside. And they place the igloo next to the card that says how many beads are inside. That's the game, really. 
and it is a very fun activity. If you haven't done this one yet, I think it's it's pretty affordable right now. I think it even has some awesome theme about how you're like giants or something, and there's baby Eskimos inside the igloos, and you want to eat them, and there's some, some bizarre theme. I, I don't think I'm getting that correct. That doesn't really matter. But what, <laughs> what you need to know is this game is about shaking plastic igloos to determine how many beads are inside. And that is much more fun than maybe it sounds. So you should you should give it a try. Number 36, Igloo Pop. Continuing the theme of ridiculous games, uh, we're going to talk about number 35, Kakerlakin Poker or Cockroach Poker. This game has, you know, a deck of cards with like five or six different insects on them. Uh, players have a, a hand of those cards. They take one of their cards. They turn face down, they turn to the person next to them, and they say, this is a spider. And they decide whether they think I'm lying or not. They can try to call my bluff, or they cannot. And if they don't, they can pick it up and look at it, and then give it to someone else, and say, this is a spider. Or they can, they can change it and say, no, this is a grasshopper. You know, even if they hadn't looked at it. <laughs> It's it's ridiculous. What I love about this game is it gets the essence of poker without money. You get the fun of that bluffing and you get the feel of it, you know, in in a 10-15 minute game that's a lot of laughs. Kakerlak and poker. Number 34. Let's get back to abstracts. Hive. Hive is a, a really nice abstract game for two players. Each player has like 10 or so uh, tiles, and there are these really nice chunky hexagonal tiles, and there's about four or five different insects on them, and players are some, there's no board, players are simply placing them adjacent to each other, and then they're moving those pieces around the outside, or they're moving them over the top of, of this uh, group of tiles depending on the characteristics of that insect. Each of the four or five insects has a different movement rule with the object of trying to surround your opponent's bee. I love how you can just take this out, get the pieces out, and start playing. But there's really a, a lot of depth to this game. Um, I've tried this with, with younger kids. The only thing about this, I wish there was like a little player aid for especially for the younger kids of remembering what each of those things do and even if you have a new person because each of the five pieces moves a little bit different and just remembering those in your first game or two takes a little bit of getting used to but once you get past that you're pretty much good to go great two-player abstract number 34 hive number 33 back to silly party games is called Blurt. Blurt is exactly what you think it is. Really, all you've got here is you've got a deck of clues that have a really simple clue, like you know, a vegetable soaked in vinegar. Pickle! It's pickle! And that's, that's it. And they said pickle, and so it says three on there, so they get three points, they move three. You flip the next card, you're good to go. That's the whole game. The cards, the cards are pretty good. There's an easier side and a harder side. Works great with kids. And it's funny when there's those ones that nobody can get and then you just feel like a dummy because you should have gotten it. Very much fun. Number 33, Blurt. Number 32, I couldn't leave off the list because I've spent a lot of my hours uh, playing this game. Trivial Pursuit. Yes, the die rolling around the circle is silly. Yes, the questions range from, you know, kindergarten easy to PhD difficult. Yes, sometimes you land on roll again 37 times in a row. 
but it's just simply getting together with you know a friend or two and you're having a trivia competition and the cards are generally pretty good and and they're a good time you know this is again a fun game to have two or three people on a team and have you know high-fiving each other when when somebody gets one of the answers right trying to get yourself to those categories that you feel stronger with laughing at the, the silly ridiculous questions Yes, there's other trivia games with all sorts of funky rules, but, you know, when I want to play a trivia game, I just want to answer trivia questions. And Trivial Pursuit does that very well. Number 32, Trivial Pursuit. Number 31, Dice Town. Dice Town is a relatively recent game uh, that, that's really a good time. It uses these poker dice. Each player gets a set of five of these poker dice and, and a little cup to shake them in. And they shake them and they slam them down on the table. And then they look at them and then they can keep them. And then players get to keep going until one of the players decides to stop it because they think they have a good hand. And then players get rewards based on what combinations that they have. Uh, but also a lot of the other elements of the game allow players to interact with each other, allow them to get cards or steal cards from one another. It is a very good, interactive, easy dice game. And that's my number 31, Dice Town. Number 30 to number 21. Okay, number 30. This is a game I rediscovered a few years ago. My neighbor had it you know, just sit in their closet, you know, a dusty copy. And I think most of us have a dusty copy of this sitting around somewhere. And that is the game of Pit. And we said, let's, let's break that out. I would love to play a game of Pit. And we brought it out and it is still so much fun. All you're doing is you have a hand of cards of oat and corn and, and barley, and you're trying to get all eight of the same card in your hand. You do that simply by taking two of the same card and, and going two, 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 two. And then someone else who has two of the same will switch with you. And you keep doing that until someone has like eight of a kind. And then there's this awesome bell and you hit the bell and then you win the round and you get that number of points. And you play to like 50,000 or some ridiculous number or until everybody gets bored. You, you never really actually want to play to that number. Probably three or four rounds is certainly enough, but it, it can be really a fun game for 15, uh, 20 minutes. It's just really exciting, you know, trying to build that hand. It's, it's got sort of that bingo element uh, that, that everybody kind of enjoys. Like, can I, can I get there first? Don't underestimate the classic game, number 30, Pit. Number 29. This might be the only word game on the list, and it's called Word on the Street. Again, this is relatively recent. If you haven't played it before, it's by Out of the Box, and it's just got a board, and it's got like 20 letter tiles, and it has some categories, and you flip over a category, and you, you divide the players into two teams, so you can basically have any number, and it might say something like U.S. City, and the team has to come up with a U.S. City, and they say Philadelphia. They get to move each letter tile over one space for every time it appears in the word with the object of getting a letter tile to go three spaces over to your side. Of course, then it's the opponent's turn and the opponents will try to bring back the letters that you brought to your side, almost like a tug of war. And the first team to get to a certain number of letters wins the game. So not only are you trying to meet that category, as has been explored in, in other games, but you're trying to meet that category uh, with a word with specific letters. And you can work on that together as a team, and it ends up to be really a good time. That's number 29, Word on the Street. 
Number 28, Bazaar. Bazaar is an older game by Sid Saxon. I believe it's been recently republished. And like all the games on this list, it is amazingly simple, but amazingly fun. And, uh, you know, this game came out a long time ago. I think there's a lot of people that don't know about it. If you haven't played it, oh, it's a good one. Best algebra board game ever. Seriously. Okay, it's not really... Yeah, it is algebra, but don't tell your players that. <laughs> Whenever you say a game is like algebra, people tend to not get so excited. But all you're doing on this game is there are 10 different exchanges for five different jewels that are brought up. For example, red equals blue and white, and white and yellow equals a blue, white, and red. So there's 10 different exchanges for all of the different jewels. And there are four stacks of cards, and each card has five different jewels. And the object of the game is to get a set of five jewels that matches one of those cards with as few jewels left over as possible. And how you do that is on your turn, you can either roll a die to take one random jewel, or you can use the jewels that you have to make one trade. You do one of those two things. So to start with, you'll roll the die, and then you'll take that die and see if you want to make any of those trades. You can also do the trades backwards to get three for two, and sometimes you want to do that because you score more points for having the exact number of five crystals that are shown on the card. And so, as I said, there comes the algebra. You've got these simple equations of these five different colors, and you're trying to most efficiently uh, get to these different combinations before your opponents. It works with, you know, kids as young as eight have really loved this game and they've loved making the trades. Anyone can play this game. It's challenging, it's a good puzzle, and it's a good time. One of Sid Saxon's classics, and that's number 28, Bizarre. Number 27, you don't hear much about this game anymore. Uh, it kind of was a flash in the pan, but I really love it. The name of it is Uptown. Uptown has this ridiculous 1920s theme that's completely irrelevant. Really, all you're doing is you have tiles that can only be played in a certain row or column or section of the board. Each tile can be laid in 9 of the 81 squares. And the object of the game is to keep your tiles into one solid group or as few as groups as possible because the person who keeps their group number the smallest... If I have two groups of tiles on the board and you have three groups of adjacent tiles, I will win the game. But it's this wonderful timing game of, of which tile should I play first and which of those nine spaces should I put the tile in. Plays up to five people, takes about a half an hour. It's a great time. Number 27, Uptown. Number 26, Coloretto. Yes, that's right. Not Zuloretto, not Aquaretto, Coloretto. Coloretto was the, the base mechanic of some of those other games that I just talked about. The basic mechanic is if you have four people, there's going to be four rows of cards, and players are going to be adding one card to one of those four rows. And once they see a group that they like, they can take a group of those cards. Of course, if you pick up a card and you make a group that's really good, uh, once you make a group, your turn is over, and the next person will take that set of cards. So you just have some simple decisions about you know when to bow out of a round, how to make the groups of the four rows of cards. It's got a little bit of mean and nasty. Most of the time, you're trying to make the rows as 
unuseful to your opponents as possible. So that always provides quite a bit of laughs. If you have people that you think that would get into sort of the cutesy animal theme, then you might want to go for the versions that take that mechanic and, and add more to it of Zularetto and Aquaretto. But I like just the simplicity and the speed of Coloretto, my number 26. Okay, now it's time for a word from our sponsor, which is you. You are the sponsor. Yes, you there listening to this show right now. I need 100 of you to help me support the show. Please go to howtoplaypodcast.com, click on donation, and I'm looking for a minimum suggested of $10 from at least 100 of you. Help me meet my goal. Show me that this is a valuable resource to you. I'd like to do more of these lists, maybe blue square games, maybe children's games. Um, I, I could do these special episodes, more of the How to Win series, and of course, more regular episodes teaching you how to play complex games. If those are some things that you'd like to see, I'd like your donation today. Now let's get back to the list. Number 25, Backgammon. Now, Backgammon is a game, I was a little bit skeptical about it. I got a nice Backgammon set uh, from my, my parents' had. I think everybody has a dusty copy of this sitting around somewhere. And I was looking for some fun games to play with my wife, so we broke this out. We read the rules, which are, are very easy to understand. And it's a nice, simple die-rolling game. You're rolling two dice and deciding how to move these pieces around in a circle to get to your opponent's home. There's some interesting decisions in there. It's fun. You don't have to think too hard about it. If you're just looking for a nice little two-player game with a little bit of interesting decisions, I would not discount Backgammon. Give this another try if you haven't played this in a number of years. Number 25, Backgammon. Number 24, Heimlich and Company. Uh, Heimlich and Company is, is an older name of the game. It was more recently available as Top Secret Spies. And the whole concept of the game is that everybody, there's like eight different spies and everybody's given one of those spies secretly. And on your turn, you move the spies around this circle and you're trying to move them so that your guy ends up in the best spots, but you're still trying to bluff players into thinking that you're one piece and you're really another piece. You're moving these pieces around, sort of playing that double guessing game of do I want to move my piece or do I move somebody else's piece so they think that that's me. I think a lot of games have built on this idea, but it's really just a unique game. Uh, provides a, an interesting, different game experience. You haven't tried it. It's worth checking out. It's number 24, Heimlich and Company. You may find it as Top Secret Spies. My number 23 game is my favorite game with an exclamation point in the title. No, wait, that's not true. It's my second favorite game with an exclamation point in the title. And that is, hey, that's my fish. Uh, this is a wonderful abstract game for two to four players. Again, the penguin theme, uh, you know, I hesitate to say it's irrelevant because it is really fun to move around penguins rather than uh, just any pawns. But this game is really affordable. You can get for like $10 or $15, and there's a lot of game for $15 and 15 minutes. You've got a grid of hexagonal tiles. Players have their cute little penguin tokens on there, and they're simply moving one of their three or four penguins. And as they move a penguin, they pick up a tile off the board. And so as the game is played, the ice sheet 
that the penguins are disappears. And so the object really is to sort of cut off your opponent so that they can't get to as many of these tiles which have the fish on them. And so since you have these multiple penguins, it's really some interesting decisions about which of the penguins do you need to move first and where should you move them to put your penguins in the best position. It's a wonderful abstract game that anybody can play. Works great at two, three, or four. It's very affordable. Uh, I think it's hard for anyone not to have this game. Number 23, Hey, That's My Fish. Number 22, I think this is a, a fun, underrated gem for those of you listeners. It's called Tally Ho! And this game is a really fun tile lane game for two players only. And you just start on a grid, I think it's 8x8, eight eight, uh, with all these face-down tiles on them. And it's an asymmetrical game. One of the players is the humans and one is the animals. And you start by just flipping over and figuring out what's in this forest. And on some of the tiles are the humans and some of the tiles are the animals. The humans want to, uh, some of them are hunters and want to shoot the animals or chop down the trees. The foxes want to run around and get the ducks and the bears want to go eat the humans. And it is so much fun to play both sides to try to shoot down the animals or to run around and be the bear and go rah and, and eat up all the humans. It's a good time. I don't know why this game is not um, more well-respected. It is kind of random, but it's it's really a lot of fun. So I suggest you check this out, this two-player uh, tile-flipping Cosmos game, Tally Ho, number 22. Number 21 has to go on the list. It's, it's probably, I, I think it's one of the best games ever, but it's a little lower just because uh, you get tired of it, and I think most of us gamers get tired of it, and that is apples to apples. And the reason I think we get tired of it is because it's it's such a success. Every time you bring it out, people want to play it like eight to ten times. At my board game club, this is by far the most popular game. The kids will play this over and over again. If somehow you have not played this game, uh, it's very simple but brilliant concept. All the players have a, a hand of um, nouns in their hand. They have people, places, or things. One player acts as the judge each turn. He picks up a green card, which is some sort of an adjective like fuzzy, and then says fuzzy. And then all the other players look through their hand and look for things that are the most fuzzy. And then the judge uh, picks you know, whichever one they like the best, which might not make any sense, but that's all part of the fun. This whole, just how simple the game is, the whole judge concept, how well it works, it always leads to a lot of laughs. Even though I feel like I never want to play this game again, when I do sit down to play it, I still can't help but have a good time. That's number 21, Apples to Apples. Number 20 to number 11. Number 20, I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Joe Gierkin in our uh, Buffalo Games group, who this is one of the three games he rates as a 10. And it's so ridiculous that he rates this as one of his favorite games. I just love, but maybe it's not so ridiculous because it is a ton of fun. And that is Electronic Catchphrase. Uh, Catchphrase was a simple party game, which was basically a, a ripoff of the idea of $25,000 Pyramid. You have a clue and you try to get your friends to say it. Uh, the electronic device does make it a lot more fun. It just has these clues and 
and you've got a team and you're trying to get your your friends to say the clues and it, it's like taboo without the taboo words uh, but the little electronic device makes it makes it a lot of fun because it, it's got the timer element on it it just automatically pops up the words it works very well it's just simple there's there's hardly any rules and it's always fun watching people trying to, to come up with these clues watching them guess or to be a participant in those activities so um, you know this is probably a well-spent 20 bucks to get one of these little gizmos to play electronic catchphrase my number 20 and one of Joe Gierkin's favorite games number 19 is another game that I think not enough people know about and that game is called take it easy I like to describe this game as bingo with decisions everybody has a little hexagonal board and a set of tiles and one player acts as a caller and they pick one of their tiles that has three lines on it up and down and side to side both ways and all the players can choose where they want in one of the, it's around 20 or so hexes in this grid. And when you're placing them down, you're trying to place them so that lines that go through the tiles line up in these colored rows. For example, up and down has three different colors. There's, a, I think, a yellow, a gray, and a black. And so you want to put them in the same line as the same colored tiles. But there's also those side-to-side -side lines. And you're trying to get as many complete lines to score the most points as possible. One of the unique features of this game that I really like is it could support an infinite number of players, assuming you have that many sets. I actually just recently invested in a few sets of this, so I have 24 of them, so I can play it with my whole third grade or fourth grade class, and it works perfect for that. Or, or you could use it in a large party type situation, and it is exactly what I just said before. It's bingo with decisions. It has that same excitement. Everybody gets to play at the same time and everybody gets to to actually make a choice and it's not hard choice but it's an interesting choice and so uh, this is a, a beautiful simple game number 19 take it easy time for another abstract game i think looking at the list this is maybe my second favorite uh pure abstract game and its name is yinch and this is from the GIF series. The GIF series has, you know, five different strange uh, abstract games with unique ways of using black and white pieces. I think this is by far the best. Uh, Yinch, I describe it to the kids as Connect Four meets Othello. And that's basically what's going on here. You're trying to get five in a row. Uh, but in order to put pieces down, you have to have your ring on that spot on the board. And then the rings also, when they move to another location, any piece that they move over flips over. And it doesn't matter if it's your opponent going from their color to your color or vice versa. Generally, you want to try to flip over your opponent's pieces and get these rings in the right position. It, you know, it takes a minute to explain. It's really hard to get a good sense of the strategy or, or tactics. It's a very tactical game, but very quick to explain, very unexpected as the landscape changes so much from turn to turn. Trying to figure out what the best move is is very challenging. A lot of fun. Best of the GIF series for me. Number 18, Yinch. Number 17 is a newer game from a small publisher, and that game is called Skull and Roses. This game is kind of neat because it's it's played on these coasters. Everybody gets a set of coasters that has, um, you know, a bunch of, four of them. Three of them have roses, one of them have skulls, and everybody picks one. 
and then on your turn you go around you either add one more coaster or you decide to start a bid you start a bid and you say i can flip over three coasters and we're flipping over coasters you're trying to flip over say three if you, you bid three you need to pick three roses without flipping over a skull and then that goes around till the highest bid is discovered maybe it's four and then that person has to go ahead and do it and try to flip over those tiles and then it's a guessing game you know you know which ones you put but you have to guess did your opponent try to put in roses or skulls and the first person to successfully do that two times wins the game it's it's just that simple but it leads to a lot of laughs and uh, double thinking and out guessing as you're trying to figure out who put that darn skull down great time i i don't love the theme of the game or the art of the game but the gameplay is very good and, and worth picking up it's number 17 skull and roses number 16 i'm gonna go with the 10 days in the blank series they have 10 days in the usa 10 days in africa 10 days in europe uh, 10 days in asia uh, they have one for just about every continent and they're all basically the same game it's kind of like a, a racco system you're basically trying to get the states for example in 10 days in the usa the tiles are the 50 states of the u.s and the object of the game is simple you're trying to get 10 tiles in a row that are adjacent to each other you know for example you would, might want minnesota to iowa to nebraska and just work your way across so that the 10 tiles on your rack were all adjacent there's a few special tiles like uh, planes let you go to a specific colored state cars let are like a wild and let you go through any state you want um, but on each turn each player is simply taking a face down tile or taking one of the three face-up tiles and then swapping that with one of the tiles they already have in their rack. Anyone can play this and quickly get into you know how fun how fun that is. Although I will say I have uh, tried this. I got a class set to work with. Um, you know I thought this would be good for fourth and fifth graders. I found this to be a little bit above them. You know especially if they have no idea with the geography. Uh, this is sort of the long-term planning of setting up your rack or where you should you know probability wise put um, Massachusetts in your rack it was just a little bit too much I think with some guidance they could get it uh, independently you know for that young I think it might be a bit difficult I would say um, probably 12 and up would be better for this it, it's more challenging a task than maybe you think that it is but it, it's a really fun and great uh, board game experience 10 days in the blank 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 series number 16 with number 15 i'm going to go with the ultimate significant other game whenever ever anybody says what's the best game to play with my wife or girlfriend or significant other people always suggest this game and that is lost cities and I think that's within with good reason. I know my wife and I have had a lot of fun playing this game. It's a, a great two-player game. There's not really much of a theme here. You know, players have a hand of eight cards. There's five suits, and they're trying to get um, the, the colors to go up from two to ten. And if you don't hit a minimum number, you're going to lose points there. And so there's a lot of tension that develops as you watch you know, what colors your your opponent gets into. You, you have to think about, all right, sometimes you have to throw away cards. Which card do you throw away? Because if you throw away a card, um, your partner can pick it up. Um, so it, it ha hits this really nice 
middle ground between having really having interaction but not have it be sort of mean and nasty interaction uh, so that it really provides for a, a nice positive experience and challenging experience one that after you play a hand you, you say oh, I'll get you next time and you just want to shuffle it up and do it one more time and so I, I still recommend this game you're looking for a good two-player game to play with anyone it's just it's really a lot of fun uh, it's Reiner Knizia's Lost Cities which has been interpreted actually if you're looking for more players um, it was reinterpreted as the uh, Spiel de Jahr winner Celtus which essentially just plays it on a board and and adds two more players adds a couple more elements and takes that same concept and just extends it uh, in Celtus but that's my number 15 Lost Cities next number 14 No Thanks I love No Thanks because it has uh, like three rules you know you have a deck of number cards between I don't know, 1 and 50, and you flip it up, and players have 11 chips, and they can either take it for that number of penalty points or give away one of their red chips, which are worth a victory point, and put it on there and say, no thanks, and then it goes to the next person, and you keep going until there's enough chips where someone decides to take the card. And the wrinkle being that if you get adjacent cards, if you get 11, 12, 13, you only get 11 penalty points. Certain cards start to be worth uh, less to other people, um, some cards players need to fill their sections and sometimes players if a card is is not as doesn't hurt them as much they'll just send it around to be mean to other people uh, really provides for a lot of fun interaction uh, within those three rules and those 15 minutes and that little deck of cards and chips uh, is just brilliant number 14 no thanks it's a it's a good eight dollars investment in a game Number 13, we talked about Trivial Pursuit earlier, and this game sort of takes that trivia concept and takes it to another level. I think it's a really creative game design by North Star Games, and that is Wits and Wagers. Wits and Wagers, if you don't know, it asks a question, and the answer to the question is a number. Maybe it's a year, or maybe just some number in the hundreds of thousands, you know, how many bottles of of coke are drank in a year and so everybody writes down their number they put it face down and then you arrange those uh, in order and then players bet on them using chips and they get a higher number of chips back a better ratio if they bid on successfully the answers on the far ends the ones that are really high or really low and it usually works out because the answer is usually one of those answers in the middle and so it has this really neat two-stage concept in that players can be kind of rewarded for knowing the answer and then that sets up the mechanic for giving the players more information but not perfect information about what the answer might be and then they have to use sort of that pooled information of the group to try to figure out what the best answer is this is even better i think when you play it with like 20 people and everybody has uh, two or three people um, playing with one marker board because then they can sort of discuss it discuss what they think the answer is discuss where they think the chips should go and it really works well with a large numbers of players you know like 16 or 20 and you know it's become very popular and a very fun event to do a, a game show and i know north star games does these game shows with this giant board and these are fun events if you go to a con you should get involved in this in fact i took that 
uh, concept and I said, you know what, I want to do this in my class. So I made a homemade with the help of my, my lovely wife made a, a nice board out of fabric that I could just magnet up to my whiteboard and made little uh, dry erase cards that I could magnet onto the whiteboard so that we could play wits and wagers and have it all be right there in front of the class and it works really well. I was told by my wife here during the editing process that that help may be an inappropriate word. Um, she made it for me, I, I think, was what I was looking for there. I had a great time with it. Uh, I used it for a lesson I created using statistics that showed the difference between the U.S. and Canada. Um, I actually used that lesson for an interview, and I didn't get a job, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I do not blame wits and wagers. Let's just say I did get the job because Wits and Wagers is an awesome game. I got a job using this game for my lesson. Give a chance to Wits and Wagers if you haven't played that yet, my number 13. For number 12 is uh, my top spot for my abstract strategy game, and that has got to go to Blocus. I love Blocus. I was talking about how I love that No Thanks has three rules. Blocus like, has one rule. It has one rule, uh, but it has this this brilliant game as players are um, playing these these tiles are like Tetris pieces and they're playing them on a square grid. They have smaller and bigger ones. And the object is to get rid of all your little Tetris pieces. The only rule is that when you add a piece to the board, you must touch at least one of your pieces, but you can only touch them at the diagonal corners. And so really what you're trying to do is spread out and take as much of the territory as possible, including filling in the gaps in between your opponent's pieces so you have more places to go. And so to start with, it seems nice and friendly, but about a third of the way into the game, players realize, oh, I have played this terribly wrong. And they really start to figure out how to be able to spread themselves out, how to use their big pieces first, how to fit within those gaps. Um, but I love that you can just explain it in just a few seconds. Everybody can sit down and just have this really great strategy game experience. That's number 12, Blocus. I would say the one downside of Blocus is it's really meant... Uh, for four players, you can, with a standard Blocus set, uh, corner off a part of the board to play with two players, but three doesn't really work. You have to use sort of a dummy player. If you find yourself wanting to play with three, you should get the Blocus Trigon version. Um, so look into that. If you want three or four, get Trigon. If you want two or four, get the standard Blocus. Number 11 is the brilliant auction game for sale. For Sale is this wonderful two-step game in which players are doing basically two different auctions. First, you know, if you have five players, you put out five houses, and you just have sort of a standard auction. The houses have values from 1 to 30, and players have like $15,000, and they simply straight up bid. And as they drop out of the bid, they have to take the lowest numbered property. The second half of the game, players take those houses that they have. There's like 30 cards, so each player is going to end up with about five or six houses. And then there's a deck of checks, and you deal out the checks. And based on those checks, you pick one of your cards secretly, 
and all the players flip it over and whoever has the highest numbered house gets the highest numbered check and you go through those five or six rounds and at that point uh, you add up the checks and whoever has the most money wins one of my favorite games of, of the kind of play you can get out of especially have an auction type experience in 15 or 20 minutes and if you introduce this to people they're going to probably want to play it three or four times in a row it's it's a great game i think people are going to be playing it forever probably one of the best auction games there is uh, number 11 for sale number 10 to number one all right now we're getting to really the good stuff some of my favorites i i think you may be surprised by some of my uh curious choices that i i have here in the top 10 uh, you know this is obviously personal preference i'm looking for games that really just provide a unique experience and a lot of laughs within just a simple few rules and within a short playtime. and these top 10 are are really the best for me they they really do it for me number 10 i'm gonna kind of lump these together into one game many of us maybe have played the the game that goes by the curious name well among other less couth variations of egyptian rat tail and i played this game a lot in college where you know basically if two of the same card come up you, you slap the pile if a queen comes up the next person gets two cards to see if they get a face card and it, it's just a simple game where players are holding the deck in their hands they're flipping it up into a common pile and they're looking for certain combinations there's some other commercial games that take this concept and really do a good job with it. Um, my local game company, I can give a shout out to them, make a game called Slamwich, and they use sandwich-shaped uh, cards with anchovies and peanut butter on them. And if the same thing comes up, or if there's a, a sandwich of a peanut butter, anchovy, peanut butter, then you can slap it there. Um, so that's one of the variations on that same idea. Uh, but one of my favorite uh, variations of this system is Holly Golly, and it's lovely because it's just ridiculous the cards have fruit on them they have bananas and kiwis and strawberries and they have one to five and if a total of exactly five comes up the game comes with this lovely one of my favorite game components ever a nice simple bell and if ever exactly five come up all the players reach in there and try to hit that bell first and if you are first you're probably going to pay for it because you're going to get about four more hands slapped on top of you but that is all part of the fun of these kind of games i've played these games you know rat tail holly golly a ridiculous number of times and they're they're so simple and it's more of a, a physical uh, game than anything and i don't really like dexterity games but i would have to say among dexterity games this is is really my favorite i don't know i just i just love that uh pattern recognition that's involved in this game so uh good times any of the variations you choose where you just want to use a deck of cards with um, rat tail or get slam witch or holly golly uh, it's a guaranteed good time uh, assuming no one has delicate hands or very sharp fingernails or uh rings with any protrusions you may want to deal with that beforehand number nine i think number nine gets a bad rap sometimes i consider number nine on my list to be a perfect game there's absolutely nothing wrong with it it's wonderful and its name is transamerica transamerica is a railroad game and 
And the theme actually does matter because you're trying to connect these cities. And the, the beautiful part about it is on your turn, everybody has five cities. They're trying to connect each one in a different region of the board. And on your turn, you simply play two track pieces. All the track pieces are black. So after you get started, you can start to connect into other people's track networks. And so it's really just amazing to see the track networks all sort of combine and being able to take advantage of where people are going and trying to figure out how can I best um, you know, take advantage of the situation. Do I want to start in the center, start in the edge? I always find it to be interesting decisions, even though it's uh, sometimes can feel feel a little bit lucky. But I, I think having some luck in games like this is, is sometimes a positive thing. You still have those those interesting thoughts and decisions. Do I want to connect now? Do I want to start on the edge? Which city should I go for now? Just to have all those simple decisions in a, in a game that simply play two track to connect your cities. I love Transamerica. It's, it's really one of my favorite games and obviously in my top 10 lighter games. If you live in Europe, you'll probably want the Trans Europa version. There's really no need to own both as they are, are really exactly the same and having Europe won't really make it a better game. There are many, maybe there on the Dice Tower, say you have to have Vexation. Vexation takes it so that there's a few track that are only your track. Um, if you want the game to be a little more gamery, then that probably will be fun for you. You'll want to use that maybe with more experienced gamers. But I love the game exactly how it is, uh, even without those colored track. Number nine, Transamerica. Wonderful game. Don't let anybody else tell you differently. Number eight, one of my top dice games here on the list. And it's very recent. But I think it's deserving of how high it is, even though it's so new. And that is Richard Garfield's King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo is a Yahtzee variant. But, but, this is the important part. It's a fun Yahtzee variant. I, I find Yahtzee to be so boring you know just even standard Yahtzee and even a lot of these newfangled games that take the the Yahtzee concept of re-rolling you know watching it go around the board and watching people do that Yahtzee activity is so boring well King of Tokyo takes it makes it interactive but doesn't make it a lot more complicated than regular Yahtzee you know you're shooting for certain combinations but you can get combinations to affect everyone else and you have to make decisions based on what the other people are doing and there's these special ability cards the theme is unique and a lot of fun I don't think that there's anything wrong with this game. Richard Garfield was talking about an expansion and just didn't want to make the game worse because as it's so simple, there's just not a lot that you really want to add to or mess with it. And, and I agree with that. I think it's just so great as it is. They need to print more of these to make them more available out to the world. A very fun Yahtzee variant. Uh, you get to be Godzilla or King Kong, but not actually Godzilla or King Kong because that would be you know like copyright infringement or something. You do get to be a giant monster and do this very fun Yahtzee-style game. Number eight, King of Tokyo. For my number seven, I have a game that probably most of you have not heard of before. And the name of that game is Piranha Pedro. Piranha Pedro is a wonderful game for many reasons. What it is, it's, it's a programmed movement uh, game. You're all telling Pedro where to go. Pedro is on a small little island and he's uh, surrounded by an ocean with piranhas in it. 
And so you each have to play a movement card of him to go one to three spots in one of the directions on the board. And you take turns on who is going first. It's really good to go first because you know exactly where you're going to end up. It's really terrible to end up last, especially if you are in a six-player game and you go last because you have no idea whether Pedro is going to land on a piranha or not. Also, the more ocean places you step in that haven't been stepped in before cost you a stone. And if you run out of stones, well, then you're going to lose. Here's what this game does. I love Robo Rally. Robo Rally is this program movement game where everybody's programming their own robots. Piranha Pedro takes all of the fun of Robo Rally and concentrates it into 15 or 20 minutes. It gives you all of the things you want from Robo Rally, the chaos, the unexpected uh, movement, um, but it, it distills it all down to what you really want. And you can share that experience without all the complexity or length of Robo Rally. Here's the other great unique thing about uh, Piranha Pedro is that when you lose a round, you get a strike or something. If you get two or maybe it's three strikes, I forget. Uh, if you're the person who caused it to lose three times, then you lose and everybody else at the table wins. I love that. You're playing a, you're playing a five-player game and then there's one loser and four winners. How great is that? I don't know of, of any other game. I'm sure there are, but there's very few. Uh, it's a very unique idea. It turns the whole game experience on its head where you just don't want to be the loser. So much fun and very hard to find. And in fact, I just bought a copy. Uh, look for a copy if you get a chance. My number seven, Piranha Pedro. All right, number six. Number six is my favorite trick-taking game. If you're a loyal listener to the show, you already know what it is. My trick-taking game of choice is a game called Wizard, which is a variation of a public domain game called Oh Hell. Um, I think I'm allowed to say that still, part of the Dice Tower Network. Um, at least I didn't say the name of the other game, Eat Poop You Cat. That's just disgusting. Uh, the name for telestrations. But Wizard is a fabulous trick-taking game where each hand uh, players are guessing exactly how many tricks they are going to take. Unlike in other uh, trick-taking games where only one person gets to try to make their bid, in this one each player has to make their bid every single round. And it starts off more random because with the first hand you only get one card and then two and three and four and the final hand is maybe 10 or 12 cards. And the game has these blue cards that are wizards, which always take the trick, and jesters that never take the trick. And you can always play those. You don't have to follow suit to use those. So that uh, gives you a little bit more freedom in the way that you play your hand. But it's still just a basic trick-taking game. But with those blue cards adds quite a bit more strategy. It just works really well. I introduced this to my wife's family. It's become sort of a tradition at their holiday Christmas party. Um, we can break that out. We don't have to teach the game and sit, and maybe we don't even get through the whole game, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, just you know, sit down and play a good trick-taking game. This is a good one. Wizard, my number six. Harkens me back to being, you know, 13, 12. You know, my father, my grandfather always used to play trick a lot of trick-taking games. And so you know, I just, I like the historical feel of uh, a trick-taking game. I think that people have enjoyed for, for many, many years. And, and I think Wizard sort of takes it to the next level. So don't miss it. Number five. Maybe you expected this game to be number one. Um, and actually, I... 
I thought for a long time, I felt like maybe this game didn't quite belong on the list because it just didn't feel like it matched the feel of the rest of them. But it's such a great game, I couldn't leave it off the list even if I didn't put it number one. The game I'm talking about is Alan Moon's Ticket to Ride. I think it's one of the greatest games ever. Uh, everybody generally enjoys this game. Bringing this game out, it is generally a hit. You know, it, it works for younger kids. Uh, I would say they're older than most of the games on this list. If you go too young with Ticket to Ride, you know, this game really requires a lot of planning and a lot of forethought, not to mention just holding all those cards in your hand. I think Ticket to Ride is 12 and up personally. Uh, unless you're really looking for a guided experience, it would have to be more guided if you go younger than that, which is one of the reasons that I was concerned about having it on this list. Also, it's probably the longest game on this list. If you show it to new players, it could take upwards of about an hour and a half. And the third uh, just liability of Ticket to Ride is that it has quite a learning curve, and so once you've played it as much as many of us have, you're really ahead of the curve of people. And you know, unlike a lot of the games on this list that you can have played it a lot and still not really have a distinct advantage because of the amount of randomness, that's not so much the case in Ticket to Ride, which almost works against it in this kind of situation. But uh, you know, the positive end is not to be overlooked. It's a great simple easy game it's easy to teach and there's so many interesting decisions about it it's exciting to play it it's so interactive uh, there's so many good things going for it had to be on this list had to be up high number five ticket to ride number four is my highest obscure game that i bet most of you have not played and the new game that i'm going to champion i i don't know if i'm going to maybe make a holiday of it like kalis but I love this game more than maybe is logical. The name of that game is Pow Wow. Pow Wow is a very ridiculous game which comes with eight beautiful headbands with Velcro on it and a, uh, a set of feathers, maybe 20 or 30 feathers with numbers on them. This is a variation of what we used to call Indian poker where you just simply held a card to your head. Uh, but this game dresses it up with, with some nice feathers that range from positive numbers, 1 to 20, and negative numbers. And players take one of the feathers, they put it in their headband, and that's the best part, first of all. First of all, you've got everybody sitting around with these ridiculous headbands with these feathers sticking out of them. And then it's this bluffing game, and they're each staring each other down. And when it's your turn, you're to add up all of the feathers of the other players and guess what the feather is on top of you, you know, just... just thinking by average or or guessing low or whatnot and and get that total and say look at the person to your left and go 17 and then they will say too much and you'll throw your feathers down and you'll add it up and see uh who gets a buzzard if it is not 17 then I would get a buzzard. If it is at least 17, the person who called me out would get the buzzard. And then you'd all get new feathers and start again. There's a couple special ones in there, like one of the feathers eliminates the highest feather. Um, one of the feathers doubles all the positive feathers. So if you have one of those weird ones on your head, it can lead to some interesting situations. So it just keeps going around, you know, seven, nine, 
12 until someone decides to say too much and this is actually historically uh, how many native american tribes chose their chiefs which you know brings the game uh, a lot of historical significance which which makes it very exciting to play as well and so you get those buzzards on your head once you get three buzzards or if you have a lot of players only use two they are eliminated from the game they must take their headband off in shame and walk out of the inner circle and watch the end of the game progress and so as many of these games this game is a game that is just as much fun to watch as it is to play and you know you could could do this with some simple cards you could jimmy it but the the silly headbands and the feathers and the little buzzards that you velcro on it just such simple components makes it so much fun track down a copy of this i promise you you will not be sorry though you may not have the extreme love for it that i do and that's my number four game powwow i i think actually i'm gonna go back and rate this game a 10 because it's, it's a perfect game. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, there's these advanced rules. I don't even know what they are. There's some games that should never have advanced rules, and this is one of them. Number three, a great classic game, Liar's Dice. Liar's Dice. Uh, I think everyone should have like 36-sided dice and, and six plastic cups and you're good to go. You know, you need you need five dice per player and just plastic cups and you've got everything you need for a great game experience. You don't need a published copy of this game, just some plastic cups and a bunch of six-siders, and you're ready to go. You never played this before? Then you're crazy. It, it is great, so much fun. Everybody gets five dice, shake them up, you look at your dice secretly, and you start bidding, getting progressively higher. I say, I think there's three fours, and then the next person must say that there's, there's four fours, or they must say maybe there's three sixes, that would be higher. Ones are typically wild, so that makes things a little bit harder. And you keep going, much like powwow, until someone decides it's too much, calls the bluff, you reveal everyone's dice, and you see if that total is indeed there. The loser loses a die, and then you keep going, and you're out once you run out of dice. Great game, tons of fun, good opportunities for you to um, BS. There's really some tough choices to make and what bid to place, what's the right bid, uh, what do you want to bid so that it it doesn't come back around to you. There's really a lot of subtlety there, but just in general, it's a lot of fun. Sticking with the dice theme, uh, one of my favorite games, favorite dice game. Now, I just learned about this game recently, but I really love it. And that is Sid Saxon's Can't Stop. Can't Stop. Again, you know, you really actually don't need anything to play this game, though I just got the new uh, Griffin Games Edition, and I'm very happy with it. All you really need is, is four dice, and, you know, you could print out a PDF of a board with the levels of uh, these ladders, 2 to 12. Each player on their turn, they're rolling four dice. They're separating them into two groups of two. So if I rolled three, four, five, six, I could separate that into the three and the four and the five and the six, and I made seven and 11. And then I can climb these ladders. I climb the seven ladder and I can climb the 11 ladder. Then I roll again. 
you only get three of these climbers to climb the, the ladders. So the second roll, I might get a third number, say a five. Now I have to get a five, a seven, or an 11, or I bust. So now the decision comes, do I roll again to try to get one of those numbers, or do I freeze? This is a, a great press your luck game. And when I decide to freeze, I get to put my colored markers on those ladders. Obviously the two ladders are shorter than the seven ladders. The seven ladders have something like 12 steps, and the two ladders have three steps. And once you get to the top of the ladder, you've won that ladder. First person to three ladders wins the game. This game is so much fun. It, it's great because, you know, one person can be playing, everybody else can be watching, cheering them on. I, I think one of the best genres, one of my favorite genres, using my bias, is that press your luck genre. And this is one of the best games out there to do that. You can use it with a variety of age groups, explain it very fast. Once people see one person play a turn, they get it, and it works well. You should have a copy. You can play it you know, just as a significant other game. You can play it you know, with some couples over. You can play it with your family. It's a very flexible game that's great. Number two, Can't Stop. And since I told you I love Press Your Luck, um, I'm going to go with for my best game that fits any situation plays up to eight players when i bring this out it always works everybody always likes this game the name of the game is Incan gold Incan gold has so many great things going for it i think maybe the heart of this comes from being a small child and adoring the reruns of the old game show press your luck did you ever watch press your luck it's got that great huge game board and it went and then someone hit the buzzer and it was a whammy wow 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 and they lost all their money oh wow that game that game show was was phenomenal well <laughs> that's basically what's going on here in this in this game but it layers it into this the wonderful theme you have up to eight players and they're going into this cave trying to get jewels and they're trying to avoid these dangers of uh, snakes and rock slides and fires and so on each round all the players have to do this is all you have to tell them on each round decide whether you want to keep going or stop and so everybody initially decides to go and you flip over card if it's jewels you split those jewels those 13 jewels by the number of players if you decide to keep going and there's a danger, say it's a snake, you don't die, but your likelihood of dying has just increased. Because if you get two of the same kind of danger, if you got another snake card, there's three of each danger in the deck, then you would die. In fact, all of the players who are still in the cave would die. So it's this lovely balancing of tension in that you want to go as far as you can and leave just before everybody in the cave dies but the other conflicting tension is that if you stay in the cave longer if there's only two people left you only have to divide the jewels between two people so you're going to get a lot more jewels and so there's this wonderful balance between these different things uh, plus the leftovers there's a leftover pot and whoever you know whichever doesn't divide evenly goes into this leftover pot so that gives players another decision 
about whether they want to leave. But all players are just doing is deciding whether to keep going or to quit. And it feels very much like that no whammies, press your luck game show. And it always works. Everybody likes it. Kids like it. Um, you know, my family likes it. My game group likes it. It's always a lot of fun. And that's why it's number one on my favorite green circle games, Inkin Gold. I really suggest that you have a copy in your collection. Well, that's going to do it for this list. I really think it's valuable to have several of these games, uh, these green circle games, because you don't always have two or three hours. You don't always have people who really want to learn, you know, 30 minutes worth of a rules explanation. Uh, a lot of the times you just have some friends or family around and you want to have a shared social experience with those people. And these 50 games are, are all good possibilities for you to have on hand to create that, that great social experience. So I hope if you don't have a lot of these, these types of lighter games, Hopefully these are some good suggestions for you for games to look into. If you enjoyed this, you're looking forward to maybe a regular episode there in July, then I am counting on your support. Remember, my goal is I want at least 100 of you to support the show over the month of June by my deadline of July 8th. How much do you want to hear more of me uh, over the next six months? I need your support. Minimum suggested donation, please, of $10 to be a supporter of the How to Play podcast. To do that, go to howtoplaypodcast.com. Look for the donate button on the left side, and you can make a PayPal donation there. I would very much appreciate it. But that's going to about do it for today. It's time to shut the lights out on the How to Play studios. And I'll look forward to telling you about another great game next time. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Sturm of the How to Play podcast. That wraps up this episode of How to Play. But be sure to visit us on our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com for all the How to Play resources, to discuss the show, to contact me, or to show your appreciation for the show with a PayPal donation. I count on your support to help keep How to Play growing. If you use and love the How to Play podcast, I need your help. Show your appreciation by making a donation, spread the word about the show, and just let me know what you think about the show there at the Guild. Thanks again to you, the How to Play listeners around the world. And until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. The How to Play podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts, featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Okay, so I was trying to think about if the Dice Tower Network really was the Justice League of board gaming podcasts, you know, who would I be? Would I be you know, Superman or Batman? And so I did a little research and I think I'd like to be Martian Manhunter because first of all, his name is, is fantastic. Martian Manhunter. It it really says it right there. I have superhuman strength, uh, flight, invulnerability, vortex breath. You can always use vortex breath. Um, Superman once said of the Manhunter, he is the most powerful being on the face of the earth, which, you know, take that, Superman. And only downside, extreme vulnerability to fire.
However, I am basing this information off of a, a Wikipedia article that does have multiple issues. It may need to be rewritten to comply with Wikipedia's quality standards or require copy editing for cohesion and tone. So um, <clears throat> some of you may want to get on that.